Well, good morning again. Well, if you will, turn to me in your Bibles to Luke, Luke chapter 2. Very familiar passage for most of you. Luke chapter 2. Prayer is morning that it will be an edifying time and that you learn something new and that the Lord is honored with his word. So when we think about the good news, what's the best news that you've ever gotten? Right? Think about it for a moment. What's the, what's the best news that you've ever received? Right? I get, from, a human, from a human standpoint, it's the best news. Right? I think about the time when um, Beth, uh, Beth said, I do. How I've said, I do. That was good news. Right? Good news for me, anyway. And then it was, uh, and then also I remember when um, when Beth said, or Beth told me that uh, she was pregnant with Arden. That was good news. And then the same thing when she was pregnant with Addie. Good, good news. Great news. And I'm sure that as each one of you guys are thinking over these things, you maybe have seen something something along a different line. Maybe it's, you know, my, for me, my, my mom was, was uh, our cancer was gone. Maybe those kind of things that are good news. Friends of mine, they uh, see news, a, an adoption of a, a child. Those are good news. Those are things that, that we remember and that we should remember. But when you think about those good news, you, you think about the news media itself. And you know, how often do we hear good news on the news media? Right? They're not going to report today there were no fires. Right? Today there was no traffic jams. Or maybe uh, the train that goes back and forth from the port downtown, the CBD, uh, did not derail today, right? Or maybe there were no fires, or maybe the flowers were not picked by my four-year-old daughter. You know, good news, right? Well, you know, you think about these events in our lives, there is a greater, greater good news for each one, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. Because those are all special events, but we need some good news. The world really needs good news. Just like the Jews in those times. The Jews in Jesus' day were living in an occupied state. The Romans had come in, they had subjugated the Jews, they had appointed their own rulers over them. And the, the Romans had taxed them heavily. There were troops throughout the land. The Jews themselves the leaders religiously were corrupt, but yet even in the midst of that darkness, there was still hope. There was a messianic hope that the Jews still believed in. They were, they were looking and longing for the Messiah. And in the midst of this hard time in which God had not spoken to the nation of Israel in over 400 years, since the book of Malachi, we have the light of the world coming into the darkness. We have the birth of Jesus Christ. We have good news. Discouraged and down people are now provided means of salvation. Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 20. And it's a passage that most of you are familiar with. It's always hard for pastors to preach at Christmas because most of you have heard many, many, many Christmas messages over your life. 
we're really going to pass it over. It's informative and it's edifying and it's glorifying in Christ this morning. We're looking at three aspects of this passage. We're going to look at the timing of the good news, the proclamation of the good news, and the response to the good news in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. So let's go ahead and look at the text and then we'll dig into it and see what the Lord has to say to us this morning. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of Luke. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was a child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds, staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the peoples. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men whom he is well pleased. When the, angel had, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as has been told to them. So the first thing we're going to look at, the first aspect we're going to look at this morning, is the timing of the good news. I love what Paul says in Galatians that in the fullness of time, Jesus came to earth. God gave his son as a sacrifice for sin. Because we, we lived in a time, or they lived in a time, excuse me, where there was great messianic hope. Even though it had been a long time since they had heard from God and had any kind of revelation, there was still this messianic hope among the population. They were looking for a savior. And they felt like it was time. Right? Just as we look for the Lord's return, we see the signs. They, they, they look for the signs and they feel it was time for, for Jesus' return. Or Jesus' turn, return, excuse me. Because what had happened, if you look at through that, that time period, you had the Pax Romana. You had the Romans had come in, and in part of their military victories is they had, had established roads. They had established free trade all throughout the Roman Empire. The Greeks had established culture. The Greeks had established a language, Koine Greek, in which everyone could communicate. So if you were God, if I was God and I'm not, 
and you wanted to send the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the entire known world, what more perfect situation could you have? Everyone is generally speaking the same language. You have free travel, free trade among the majority of the world's population in, in a localized area. It was, it was God in the fullness of time and His sovereignty that orchestrated Jesus' birth at the precise time that He wanted. Now when it comes to Augustus Caesar, it's interesting when you think about Augustus Caesar. He, he, uh, he set forth his decree for taxation. And Augustus loved, loved census. He did one every 14 years. And so he was also called, it was interesting, as Augustus set about establishing this peace among the Roman Empire, if you look in contemporary writings about Augustus, he was actually called the ruler of the world, he was called the savior of the world, and when I mean, the writings about him, they call these writings gospels, or good news. And so you had a, a worldly man who became worshipped, or became uh, deified as a god, who was called the savior of the world, and there were gospels written about him. And you had this worldly person, and then you had what we're going to talk about today, the real Lord, the real King, the real Savior, and we have the real good news. So you think about all of these things, this, this perfect, uh, perfect culmination of events right, that God orchestrated for the birth of his son. And one thing we have to deal with as we think about this account, we have to take away fact from fiction. Because we've all grown up, even in the secular societies of the United States, of Western societies, of Australia, where we hear all about Jesus. And we hear all about the Christian account, but there's so much that's been imported and diluted that so much will we even, even our own um, own belief system in the sense of what we think is right about this account, we get intermixed with culture, right? There, there's a there were no there's no little drummer boy, right? Mary most likely walked. She didn't ride a donkey, even in very in a pregnant state. The Bible doesn't mention an innkeeper, right? How many stories have you heard about the innkeeper? Doesn't talk about animals. Doesn't talk about where uh, where the manger was. Doesn't mention the stable. In fact. See, all these things have entered into our, our traditions. We, we've flushed out the details, but the Bible's not specific about those things. And those are just things we have to be careful as we go to the story that, that we leave our, our perceptions and our traditions and we focus only on what the biblical text said. Right? You think about the manger scenes. There's, the, you think those manger scenes we, we see and we have one of ourselves in the back, but you think about those, those manger scenes, the magi weren't there. There was no wise men. There was no star over the stables. They came later. In fact, in, in, in Luke, you, read the, you read the accounts, right, in uh, Matthew, they actually were in the house at that time. So it was after the fact. Right? And even, even though I look at some, you know, way in mangers, way in the mangers, you know, no crying Jesus makes. I'm sorry, he's a baby. He would have cried, right? Jesus, Mary would have held him. She, he would have been crying. He's a baby. All right, so you think about those things. So, so God prepared the environment and his sovereignty and his unfolding uh, plan of history. And he brought forth the circumstances for Jesus' birth. And he did it to fulfill a prophecy in Micah 5 2 that a predetermined place where Jesus was to be born. And that was in the year of So let's go ahead and look 
So we got, in those days, the decree went out from Caesar. Right? We had Quinius was governor. Right? We know when Quinius was governor, he was governor twice. He was governor for at one time. He did the census, and he actually became governor later on. You can read about that in early Acts. And he made, they made everyone go back to their own city. Right? Because that was how the Jewish people kept records. They were very meticulous in those days, after the exile, because they wanted to know what lineage you were on. It was very important. Right? And so they, in, the, in the course of the Caesar's decree, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. Right? And they, Bethlehem is called the, the house of bread. It's interesting that the bread of life comes from a city named the house of bread. But you, you have Mary and Joseph being led and orchestrated back to where God wanted them to be because it fulfilled the prophecy of Michael 5 too. And so and then we have the birth of Jesus. Look down in verse 4. So Joseph went up from Galilee, the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house of the family of David, in order to register with Mary, who was engaged in him with a child. And he said, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Now, we don't know anything about this journey. But this journey would have been 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. For those who did not use the imperial system, that's 145 kilometers. Right? It was a journey. Now, this was a common journey. From Nazareth to Jerusalem was, was a trek that Jews would make once a year to do the Passover, celebrate the sacrifices in the temple. Right? So it was a common trek. So there was a, a well-known travel path up and down hilly, hilly areas. You like walking through the Adelaide Hills. Right? It was a common trek. Right? And so it would have been, would have been no easy journey. It would have been careful for, for robbers, and careful for animals, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. So they had to be careful from all those animals, be careful for all those things that were, that were obstacles in their path. They would have most likely traveled in a group. And like I said earlier, there, there's no evidence that, no evidence, there's no suggestion that Mary would have gone. Now, for those of you ladies thinking about walking that track at eight, nine months pregnant, and remember that they were a lot hardier in those days. Like, even up to eight, nine months pregnant, Mary would have been working every morning, rising up early, but cooking dinner, getting clothes, maybe working in the field, maybe going to get water. But she would have been really busy. And so they commonly work 10, 12, 14 hour days. She's just really hardy, so walking that distance is not impossible. And I bring that up because that, the Bible just kind of says it. It doesn't talk about their journey and what a hardship that would have been. But their journey would have been about three days, and they, and, and, and they would have gotten there, and it says that, that she sovereignly gave birth in Bethlehem. And I love it. It says that she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, one of the things that the Catholics would teach is there's a doctrine of perpetual virginity of Mary, that she didn't have any other kids. Well, here, it, it obviously says she has a firstborn. If you, you have a first, firstborn son, the implication is you have more than one, or why even mention it? Right? We, all, we know from Mark 13 that, that she had James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and some other sisters who are, sorry, Jesus had other sisters that weren't named. So Mary was there and she wrapped her baby in swaddling clothes. We think about this again, we, we still swaddle. Remember when Arden was born and Addie was born? They have these little towels. Now, I don't know if this is a California thing because I've only had two kids that were born in California. They have these, these towels they wrap the babies in and they're like, they're like a, gray color, and there are stripes, there's red and blue stripes. It's funny, I've even seen movies with babies and they're wrapped in these towels. 
but it's, it seems to be kind of a standard thing in the hospitals in the U.S. But, but when Arden was born, Eddie was born, they, they take the baby and they're born and they wrap them in these towels, they wrap them real tight, and they swaddle the baby. Because it holds the baby's arms and legs tight, gives them a sense of security. That's amazing. You start wrapping these babies, these nurses that do it all the time, they're going to really quit. It's amazing the babies will stop, stop crying. Right? And they get all warm and comfortable, and they'll just start smiling at you and looking around. Just a, just a wonderful sign. Well, swallowing has been around for thousands and thousands of years. Well, well Mary took the cross and she wrapped up in Jesus. A common practice. And then it says she placed her, placed him in a manger. We're talking about a feeding trough. Now, church history around the second century, they said that most likely they were in a cave, but we're not sure. It could have been a, a manger right outside of a house. Right? It could have been in a room. It could have been where it could have actually been in the stables. We're not sure exactly where it where it is. The reason most times the stables at Christmas is because a manger was a feeding trough. And so Jesus was placed in that. This was this was something that was just being so unusual. And as the shepherds later on find out, as a way to find Jesus, they would call, look, look for a baby in a manger. He just didn't put a baby in a feeding trough. And all of this is emphasizing. This, this good news, but all this emphasizes the absolute humility of the king. Think about the birth of the king. What would they do? They would make a public announcement. Right? When, when, the, uh, when the, the children of Prince Charles, each one of them have had babies now, right? You can't help, even when the states can't, that would be bombarded, right? I don't even follow the royal family, and, and, uh, and you, you kind of know that was it Charlotte and William, I think, is, is the son and daughter of, of, the, of the oldest, right? You, you can't even help but follow them because it's everywhere. Well, here you have the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's born in a lowly place, and he's born in his place in a lowly manger. So Mary gave birth, and then it was in the open air. And I love what it says here. It says that because there was no room for them at the end. Now, the reason I love that is it just, it just shows the humility of the Lord's birth. He wasn't even in a house. He wasn't even in a, in a hotel. Right? The type of inn they would have would have been a public inn. Now, one thing I want to say is that in regards to these shocking details, is that the, the, it doesn't say anything about the, the, the innkeeper. Like, he's often demonized in a lot of stories that, oh, he turned away. Even our preachers say that, oh, he turned away the Savior. You know, no, the same thing the preacher was. Why would it say anything to him? It was full. Right? The end was full. He had all these travelers traveling from all over Israel coming down to, for the census. And he went. Right? But this is the way God orchestrated it. God ordained it on purpose. You know, you think about it, you can also emphasize. The, the other things. You can emphasize the wrong things. And, and even in those times, those people could, could, could see a Savior and not even realize what had happened. Recently, uh, um, I was thinking about the first flights. Wilbur uh, and Orville Wright made the, first, the world's first free controlled and sustained flight with a power-driven, heavier-than-air machine. The reason for me, I was thinking about it, the anniversary is December 17th, and that took place in North Carolina where I'm from, the Kill Double Hills. I've been to these massive hills, sand hills. It's beautiful. And they, they tested the, this aircraft, and they got it disclosed, and they, uh, they flew four trials, the last of which went 800, 852 feet, and it lasted for 59 seconds. 
First time in history. Right? After, it was interesting, after the flight, they tried to sell the plane to the U.S. government. And they tried to sell it to the French government. They tried to sell it to the British government. But all these bureaucrats refused to listen to them. They thought they were crazy. Because they all said, well, man has never flown before. Why can't we believe you that you've actually flown now? And it took subsequent flights to prove all these naysayers wrong. You see, it happened right in front of them, and they refused to believe it. And so often with, with the Lord Jesus, when you think about his birth, the gospel, the good news is there. People see it, and they sing about it at Christmas, but they refuse to believe it. They refuse to think about it for what God intended, that Jesus Christ is a Savior for sins. The little baby that was in the manger grew up to be a man who died on the cross in the sins of everyone. So the Gentiles believed that they had a Savior. The Gentiles believed they had a Savior of the world in Augustus Caesar. The Jews longed for a Messiah who would be a political deliverer, like a judge, like David, king. But they both wrong. God's humble birth foreshadowed his humble status. An unexpected ministry. The good news of God's intervention in His creation by the second person of the Trinity began that day. Everything happened was according to the predetermined plan of God. And that brings us to the proclamation of the good news. Look in verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And I, I, love, the, I love the idea of these shepherds. So one thing you need to understand about shepherds in Jesus' day is the shepherds were lowly people. They were the lowest of the low. They were the bottom of the social economic ladder. Right? They were considered unclean, in fact, by the religious leaders because if you're, if you're tending dirty sheep seven days a week, 24 hours a day, how can you ever be religiously, quote-unquote, ceremoniously clean so you can go into the temple? You see, they, they weren't even allowed to testify at trials because they were considered untrustworthy. But see... God doesn't care about man's labels. If you think about even our own selves, I and mean, when Jesus saves, saved us, I love what 1 Corinthians says. One of my favorite passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Therefore consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. So instead of appearing to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was only a few miles away, by the way, he could have easily appeared to the religious leaders, right, the priests of Israel, but instead... He sent his angel as a messenger to appear to the lowly shepherds. Right? It's interesting when you look at Jewish, Jewish tradition. Jewish tradition says that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. And they're, and they're going back to what Micah 5 2 says. But it also says that the, the Jewish Savior, the Messiah, would be born near the tower of Midgal Eder. Midgal Eater was a tower that overlooked Bethlehem. Now, the thing about this tower, and the thing about this particular sheep that were in Bethlehem, these sheep were the sheep that were to be used in the temple sacrifices. So you think about this. 
Jesus is called the Lamb of God. It takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God was born next to and near all the other sheep that were destined for sacrifice in the temple. Right? You see, God orchestrated these circumstances. You see, the appearance of the shepherd pointed to the accessibility that doesn't depend on wealth, on status, position, prestige. This is good news for each and every one of us. It isn't good news just for those that can afford it. Right? Isn't it good news for, for the wealthy, the privileged, the status, the religious leaders? It's good news for anyone who will believe. You think about the angels. Look at the angels. It says, that suddenly an angel stood before them. Now angels are messengers of God. This angel is coming with a message from God. And God's glory shone about them. How about you? You ever been to a dark, dark place? I remember camping with my, my, my Boy Scout troop when we were young, and, and we had just a little fire going, and we were getting ready to turn in for the night, and we were all just kind of talking, and all of a sudden, in, in, the, in the southern United States, we call it heat lightning. It's just static electricity in the air. There's no, no rain, there's no thunder, the lightning just flashes. Right? And so all of a sudden, the lightning just started flashing, and, and it started flashing with such intensity that it literally lit up our surrounds. So we could, we could see long distances, just lightning flashing in the darkness. In some ways, it was terrifying to go from pitch black to all of a sudden, boom, you can see. And then the coffee goes You can imagine these shepherds. They're in the darkness. They didn't have spotlights. They have street lights or any city lights in the distance. We're talking, about, we're talking about darkness, which maybe a little campfire. And all of a sudden, an angel appears in the glory and brightness of God, appears in front of them, and it says what? It says they were terribly frightened, just like you would have been. The angel says, look, he says, do not be afraid. He says, you're terribly frightened. And he says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So he, they're making these, this announcement to the to these shepherds. What a great privilege these shepherds had to be able to see a glimpse of the glory of God. The glory of God had not been seen in Israel for over 500 years. When you think about the glory of God, if you look at Ezekiel, and you don't have to turn, but Ezekiel 10, uh, verse 4, verse 18, and then 18 to 19, and then in chapter 11, you'll see a picture. Ezekiel is, is receiving a vision from the Lord, and in this vision, he's watching the glory of God depart from the Holy of Holies in the temple. It departs and it leaves and it goes to the, the entrance to the temple and it stays there in his vision and no one notices and no one cares. And then it goes, the glory of God goes from the temple all the way to the entrance to the city gates and then leaves the city gates and it goes to the east of Jerusalem to the, to the mountain that's east of Jerusalem which is, by the way, Mount of Olives and then from Mount Olives it descends into heaven. I remind you a little bit of Jesus' ascension. But the glory of God, the point in Ezekiel is, is the Jews were such a, in such a state of idolatry that they didn't notice and they didn't care that the glory of God, Ichabod, was leaving their midst. And the glory of God was not seen in Israel until this point, 500 years later, when the glory of God shone and the angelic messenger tended to the shepherds the good news. And this is just a small glimpse of the glory of God. And then Jesus himself 
the glory of God was among them. So the glory of God, the, angels, the angel appeared, excuse me, and the shepherds had that privilege. They were lowly. So listen to the content. He says, look, this will be, sorry, the good news of great joy will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's interesting. He said this would be for you for great joy. So individually, this was, the good news was for them. So they would have great joy. Good news was also for the people of Israel. Now, the people of Israel rejected their Messiah, opening the way for us, the Gentiles, pig eating Gentiles, right? We're not Jewish, right? So that we may have salvation. Salvation is of the Jews through Jesus Christ, right? It's to us. It's a light to the Gentiles, is who Jesus is. So you have the good news. The good news, it's the same word, euangelion. We, we get our word gospel. When you go say, well, I'm going to share the gospel with someone, what are you saying? You're saying, I'm going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's good news. Couldn't be any better news. And they said, well, here's the good news. Let me tell you what it is. It says, for today in the city of David, start there for a second, because it's a reminder of God's covenant with David. For those of you that were here last week, we, we went through Isaiah chapter 9, and you have all these messianic prophecies. One of the prophecies to David in 2 Samuel is that he would have a descendant, or sorry, there would be a descendant of his on the throne ruling Israel forever. How long is forever? Forever. For all time. Right? And that person who was going to rule Israel for all time is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's what Isaiah 9 is about. This king is Jesus Christ. And so the angels reference this. says, look, the city of David. Right? The Savior has been born. He's a Savior. Right? This is really good news. So the question is, are you saved? If there's a Savior that's been born, are you saved? Right? We, we, we don't use that term that much anymore. It's kind of fallen out of usage. You still hear it in the south where I'm from. Like, are you saved? Are you saved? So the issue for man, it's not about, it's not about our uh, fulfillment in life, right? Oh, oh, I want to be fulfilled, so I need someone to fulfill me. Or I need someone to give me purpose, right? It's, it's not a Savior trying to help me to escape my dangerous lusts and desires, right? The issue for mankind is sin and guilt before God. That is the issue. Right? It's not Emperor Augustus who saved the world. It's Jesus Christ. Because if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then you remain in darkness and the only path for you, the only destiny that you have is eternal hell. And if you think it was hot this week, <coughs> eternal hell is eternally hotter. Right? So we're saved. Jesus Christ saves us from the penalty of our sin. Romans says that each one of us is born a sinner. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We need a Savior. The word Savior is deliverer. He's the one who delivers us from the penalty of our sin. We, we disobey God's law constantly. We, we rebel against Him. We're an enmity. Cautions, as we've been studying, says that we were, we were, we were hostile in our minds and in our deeds. Right? Romans says that we are enemies of God. We are haters of God. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's who we are apart from Jesus Christ. Right? Even John 3 says that men don't believe in Jesus because they love the darkness. 
chapters we need to read. We love our sin. We hate God. We reject God's authority. We shake our fist at Him. Right? That's why we need a Savior. You've got to understand you need deliverance. You understand you're a sinner. Right? And that's the good news is that we don't have to save ourselves. That instead of us having to try to work hard to earn a salvation that we never could earn because in our hearts we're wicked, and if you're wicked hard, then everything you do is tainted by sin. You can't earn that. Instead of us having to do that, Jesus Christ, what? He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, satisfying the demands of the law in our place, and then he died on the cross for us. And instead, God poured all his wrath upon Jesus Christ, paying the penalty for our sin. So what's left? Allow us, us for to believe that Jesus Christ paid that penalty, to accept Him as Lord of our lives, to submit our wills to Him. And then He comes in and He indwells us, He renews us, He gives us a new heart. That's where the term born again comes in, right? We're born again. He saves us. He saves us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from the power of sin by giving us a new heart, by indwelling us with the Holy Spirit. We have the power to resist sin and to obey God, which we did not have before. We couldn't obey God no matter how hard we tried. And then he saves us from the very presence of sin. He's, in the future, when Jesus Christ returns, there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and all the evil in this world will be destroyed. Those that are evil and rebellion against God, we sent to the lake of fire, sent to hell forever. Satan and his demons will be sent to hell. And all that will remain will be Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the angels, and us. That's it. What a blessing that would be. See, I have to understand why you need a deliverer, why you need a savior. Right, we sing songs at Christmas. He's a, he's a savior of the world. Or he's a savior of all. But what is he saving us from? It's about sin and our guilt before God. Not only is he a savior, he's Christ. He said the Messiah. Christ is Messiah, the anointed one. We talked about in Isaiah 6. The, the vision that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6 was a vision of the king, of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, he says the king is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace. You know, he's the Messiah. I love what, I love what the apostles, here they are, Jesus is getting ready to, to rise to heaven. They're on the Mount of Olives. He's getting ready to leave them. And the apostles in Acts 1, 6, it says, Lord, is it now time that you are restoring your kingdom to Israel? Right? They see we're getting the whole fact that he was coming back. They're like, all right, well, we've done the resurrection. You know, we understand the salvation aspect. You pray, you do the propitiation and the salvation of Israel. So now you're going to establish your kingdom and rule? And Jesus' response were, it's not for you to know the times that we've been set by the Father. In other words, no, you just wait. Right? It's not for them to know. Christ, our Lord. Then he's the Lord. And here's, notice this. Notice the angels say he's, he's, he's the Lord. So this little baby... Make note, because I'm saying this, I want to make sure you understand. They know a mistake. This little baby was the angel's Lord. Right? You have these powerful angels, and they're saying the baby is the Lord, the one and only Lord. He's not Caesar. He's not an earthly king. He is the Lord of Lords. He is these angels, Lord. They submit to him. Right? 
And that's an aspect of, are we submitting to Jesus Christ as our Lord? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He is your Lord. He is your authority. You know, if you don't accept Jesus as Lord, you are not a Christian. I passed by over there off of, um, what was it, Grand Junction Road? Yeah, Grand Junction Road. There's a Christadelphian Hall. I was talking to Alex, I was talking about this. Christadelphian. Uh, Christadelphians, they do not believe in the Trinity. In fact, on their little signage up front, it says that Jesus did not believe in the Trinity. Come here about how Jesus did not believe in the Trinity. I guess they just don't read the book of John. So, anyone who doesn't believe that Jesus is Lord is not a Christian. You can't say that, that, that Jesus is not God, He's not Lord, and believe that Jesus is is believe that you're a Christian, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. You, you know, I've known some Mormons, really nice people. Get to know them, and we start talking, and they say, "Oh, we're just like you. You know, we we believe the Bible, and we follow God's teaching." And, and then it comes down to it, asking the simple, "Who do you think Jesus is?" Oh, well, he's the spirit brother of uh, of Lucifer, right? They believe Lucifer and Jesus were brothers, right? And you look at them and go, "No." Jesus is Lord. And that's why we're not the same. So Jesus is Lord. So he keeps going and he says, he gives him a confirmation. He says, look, I'm going to confirm this for you so that you can find this baby. He says, there are probably other babies in Jerusalem. He said, we'll find this baby. He says, this will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths. That's not unusual. You will find him laying in a manger. It is unusual. Right? That's, that would be a sign. There might be other babies, but there's only going to be one baby in God's providence. That's wrapped in swaddling clothes, and that is in a manger, right? So, we need to have the response. The final point is the response. And I love the response. It says, as soon as this angelic messenger, remember, this, angels are messengers. As soon as this messenger, messenger has finished talking, wow, look at verse 13. And suddenly, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on an earth, peace among men, and he is well pleased. You know, they just couldn't wait. You can just imagine angels are just going, Hurry up, hurry up, hurry, finish, 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 finish. Oh, he's finished. Yes! Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus is born. They knew the significance. First people praise the Lord. First beings, angels. He was born on earth. Praise God. The glory of God shone forth. And they're giving God the honor that He deserves. They understood. When you praise God, when you, when you give glory to God, you're praising Him. You're giving Him the honor, the respect, the dignity. And notice He said, He's glory to God in the highest. You're recognizing His superiority. And you're honoring for him, him for that. And He said, there's peace. What is that peace? There's, there's no longer hostility. We're no longer hostile in, in an enemy of God. Right? We, remember I said before, we're, we're enemies in our mind. We're hostile in our mind. But Romans says that, that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 5. It said, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 1. Right, we have peace with man. Do you remember from Colossians 3.15 a few weeks ago? It says, let the peace of God rule in our hearts. So it's through God that we have peace with Him, and we have a right relationship with Him, 
And we have right relationships peace with each other. Because remember, sin always separates. Sin separates us from God, and sin separates from each other. When you look at issues and relationships among us or among anybody, what's the root issue? It's the sin in their hearts. That's what causes separation. So we have peace. Now, if I said the name Alfred Nobel, most of you would go, oh yeah, the, the Nobel, Nobel or Nobel Prize. Right? You'd recognize that name. Right? He established the Nobel Peace Prize. Right? Pretty familiar. What you may not know is that he established this prize at his death. He built his entire fortune through, in creating the Nobel Corporation, the Nobel Foundation, because he, he felt immense guilt over his inventions. The most prominent invention of Alfred Nobel is dynamite. He looked at all his inventions and he looked at how much death, how much suffering, how much pain his inventions had caused in the guilt at the end of his life drove him to create a prize for peace. You see, the greatest peace is yet to come. Any of all those, you watch all those uh, Miss USA pageants, and I don't know if they do those here, Miss Australia pageants, whatever, those the, the, the models get up and they say, oh, well, you know, I want world peace. Well, there will be no world peace until Jesus Christ returns and completely removes evil and sin from our hands. Well, listen, so that's the angel's response. They, they glorify God. The, look at the shepherd's response. The shepherd's response is, when the angels had gone, the shepherds began saying, and this is repeatedly saying over and over to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Right? They're, they're in a hurry. So in verse 16, they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph. Right? They responded in faith. They went straight there. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't uh, dilly-dally, as we would say. Right? They didn't stop for a coffee. They went straight there. Because they understood the source of this message. It said, the Lord has made known to us. Let's go see what the Lord has told us. And they did it quickly. And then look down in verse 20. And it says, but they went back glorifying and praising God for all that they have heard and all that they have seen, just as they had been told. You see, their faith was rewarded in that they were the first people besides Mary and Joseph. They were the first people recorded to have seen the Savior. They can't wait to meet them in heaven, right? You were first. Tell me about that night. Tell me about the angels. You see, the good news is that Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, must be responded to by faith. Acts 4.12 says, There is no salvation, excuse me, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven or under heaven which is given among men by which we must be saved. To go to heaven, you must be one of God's children. To become a child of God requires faith in Jesus Christ. The shepherds, the shepherds demonstrated this by responding to what they heard, responding to the, the, the message, the word of the Lord in faith, and they, when they heard, when they saw, they left praising and glorifying God. Now I want to point out a group that you may have missed. Look down in verse 18. And it says, And all who heard it wondered at the things which are told them by the shepherds. Who's the all who heard it? Or we skip over this verse and we don't, we often don't think about that. They told other people. Either they told other people on the way to see Mary and Joseph or afterwards... But there's another group 
of people. And we know there's another group of people because there's a contrast. Look at verse 19. It says, but Mary. Right? It's a Greek word. It's a connected term. And it's but. It's a contrast from the group of people above that. Okay? So their response is different than Mary's response. But look at their response. It says they, they wondered and they were amazed. But it doesn't tell us that they believe. It doesn't tell us they worship. It doesn't tell us they glorify God. They wonder. And one thing about one thing about Luke is Luke uses this term wonder and amazement over and over and over throughout the book of Luke. And oftentimes that wonder and amazement is associated with the people they hear or they saw something Jesus had done or, or said and they wondered and they were amazed, but it doesn't record them responding in faith. So here's a group of people that, that they couldn't be bothered, use that Ozzy expression. Right? They couldn't be a bother. They they well that's interesting story, shepherds. Hmm. Well, they go on and get some breakfast now. Let's get there You see, many people they, they hear of Jesus' birth during Christmas, and they even wonder at the events, and they're amazed at the story, but they won't repent of their sins and they won't submit to Jesus Christ. John 3 says they they, they love their sin. You see, they're indifferent to Christ. They they can't be bothered. The group. Let's look at Mary. It says, but, drawing that contrast, for Mary treasures all these things upon her human heart. You know, she treasures. It means to, to keep those things close together in your mind. Pondered is close reflection of on a subject, a thorough consideration. She looked at her baby, and she, she over and over in her mind, she's, can you imagine? I couldn't imagine looking at your son and saying, and thinking, the angel said this baby's going to be the savior of the world. And then hearing what the shepherds are looking at your baby and going, he's, he's savior. Right? He's, he's Lord. He's Messiah. You see, Mary's looking down at her baby and she's, she's pondering those things. She's pondering those things. This is God incarnate. In her arms. That give you something to think about if you're a mom. Just dwelling on that fact. How is this possible? And Greg and I were talking the other day, we were talking about the rapture and uh, how the world would respond to uh, all of a sudden all the Christians being gone. You know, what, what they would say. And, and uh, you know what I was thinking, I was, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this passage. You know, I think the world should still celebrate Christmas. Right? Why not? Right? They'd keep it going. They should be glad to get rid of us all, us all religious nuts. Right? They can still celebrate Christmas and have lights and trees. Right? Presents. Play all the Christmas music, except for the religious music, of course, right? The Christmas will still go on. When you think about, in the midst of all this consumerism that we live in, what's the good news? You know, one of my favorite Christmas traditions with my family, and I've done it for many years, is watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And I actually bought the book, so I read it to my kids. Charlie Brown Christmas special. It started in 1965. And in the United States, United States, it is aired every December, usually twice, week before Christmas. Every year since 1965, they aired the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And I love what Lucy tells Charlie Brown. He's wondering like, what Christmas is all about. And she said, let's face it. We all know that Christmas is a big commercial racket. That's 1965. Later on, Charlie Brown exasperated. He says, I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone that knows what Christmas is all about? 
His friend Linus replied, Here, children, let me, let me tell you what Christmas is all about. And I'd like to read you Linus's words. So Linus stands up, and Linus says, And there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel came and said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You shall find him a, in find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to men. So that's what Christmas is all about. It's not about the presents, it's not about the gifts. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ. He's a Savior. He's our Lord. He's our Christ. He's the cure for man's problem for sin. He's the good news. And Jesus came to the world to be our Savior and we're our Lord. He's also the Christ. Pray that as you go through this next few days and you think about Christmas, that you would remember the good news. Remember the real news of Christmas. And celebrate the birth, the incarnation of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace gift, the grace gift of your Son. For we know Lord, we couldn't save ourselves and we were in such a desperate and dark state. But you loved us. You loved us even though we hated you and we didn't want anything to do with you and we were in darkness and we loved our sin. But you loved us. You loved us so much that you sent your only begotten Son so that if we would believe in him, we should not perish but have eternal life. Father, I pray for those this morning that are thinking about what Christmas is really about. And